Thank you for listening to our New Life Christian Center podcast. Stay tuned after the sermon for more ways to connect with us. Amen, amen. Thank you. Praise the Lord. All right, open in your Bibles, please, in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let me tell you how this happened in me. About two or three weeks ago, I was preaching what I believed God had said to me, and right in the middle of that sermon began to come out of me this, this talk about money, about giving. And I thought, that's odd, that doesn't fit right here, and I couldn't stop it. I was on a phone conversation after that with somebody, and I heard these words come out of my mouth. When you want to learn how to help people, learn how to cooperate with the words that are living inside of you. And I realized that what was living inside of me that I had neglected to share with you uh, for the last several years was what I'm going to talk about until God releases me, and I've entitled it, The Money Talk. Now, I know many of you will groan and go, oh, no, here he goes, you know, money-grubbing preachers and always taking up offerings and all that kind of stuff. The reason I haven't taught this for a number of years is because it is really interesting the level of abundance that this church lives in. You you don't need to be taught this so that the church can stay open. We're not trying to raise money so that we can pay the power bill. We're not trying to raise money, in fact, for any reason other than to give it away. And and, uh, this, this church probably this year for the first time in all of the history of this church will give away almost, if not more than, what came in this year. You say, how do you do that? Because we live in abundance. It's hundreds of thousands of dollars. So you don't need a teaching for the church. In fact, money teaching is not for the church's benefit. We're not not trying to do something that benefits the church. We're trying to do something that benefits you. So notice, if you would, please, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Notice, if you would, the first verse and following, where Paul says to Timothy, now this is, if if you understand kind of the, the, the context of this, Timothy is considered by Paul as his son in the faith. This is somebody that Paul has spoken into and at times left in charge of certain activities in certain areas. This is no slouch of a leader here. And then he tells him this, and remember, 2 Timothy is a very intimate letter because Paul evidently knows that his ticket is about ready to get punched. He's about ready to be done. And so he knows, in fact, he says in parts of 2 Timothy, I'm ready to be poured out as a drink offering. He knows that his time on this earth is is getting short. And so he says in verse number 1 of chapter 3, but know this, he's asking Timothy to pay attention to the revelation or literally what's living inside of him. He's teaching that so that he can cooperate, so that Timothy can cooperate with the living words. So he says, know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. Now I don't know what you think about where we live in the time frame of God or not, but I will tell you that most of you probably have an understanding that we're going through things occasionally during this time that is way different than many of the other things that we've ever faced. It's much more difficult today and it's called perilous times. We are a nation and a world that is divided like never before. 
The rumors of war, the difficulties, the famine, the earthquakes, the very things that God says these things will happen, and it's not the end yet, but these things happen right before the end. So I believe we're living in the end times. You say, well, what does that mean to you, Pastor? It means that it could happen tomorrow, and it might not happen in 100 years. See, we don't know. The Bible says no man knows those things. So when it says perilous times, we just look and say, how do we see what we're going through? Here's how we, here's how we recognize it. Verse number two, for men will be lovers of themselves and lovers of money. Now, there's a whole list of things here, but let me point out something to you. The reason that our country and in some cases our world is so divided is largely because of money. In fact, one of the things that James tells us in the end times is that one of the last big kind of war type things is when the poor rise up against the rich. Now, let me just tell you this. If you're in America, you live in the top 1% of an income scale of the whole world. You are a one percenter in the world things. In fact, two billion people on our planet live on less than a dollar a day. Two billion, probably one third of our population lives on less than a dollar a day. $300 a year. See, this is not about the amount of money, this is about the heart that handles money. You understand God isn't interested in how much your hand gives if your heart is stingy. Okay? I mean, you can write big old fat checks. It doesn't make any difference. But that isn't what God is looking. He's looking for heart. And so over the next several weeks, we're going to talk about this, this thing here from a position that we believe that money has become and the economy and some of those things has become a focus that has caused us to be distracted at times. Because we live. Listen. I would rather pay an exorbitant price for eggs than to pick them up off the ground of the chickens running in my neighborhood in a third world country. Come on. We bought eggs one time in the jungle, and they were in flats that hold 30 eggs, and there were probably a dozen, it was this high. And all they did when they opened up business on the day in the morning is take those eggs, pick up both flats, and turn them over like this. Eggs don't need to be refrigerated in their world. They probably don't need to be refrigerated in our world, but how many of you are storing your eggs in your refrigerator? Why? Because if they go bad, they might kill you. In some of the countries we've been in, they sell milk in quart boxes. They're shelf-stable for four months. They're not refrigerated. I'm a little scared to buy milk that way. And it's like room temperature. And room temperature in the jungle of Brazil is like 100 degrees. It's not like your room temperature. It's about 70 degrees in here today. It's really comfortable. So again, what's happened in our world is that we have had a focus potentially on money. Or, so don't hear this wrong. Or on the economy. I have heard and potentially participated in the whining that goes on based on the economy that we're living in today. Where you've noticed that eggs have cost $5 and a loaf of bread costs $5. Can I point out to you that even if they do, it's a little over 50 cents an egg and you can afford it. 
See, I knew. No, I, I know that people aren't going to like this. So let me help you with this. This is my money talk. Church should do this, and here's why. You're entering into a time over the next six weeks where money will be a conversation in your house in a huge percentage of you. How much do you spend on Christmas? Money will be a conversation. And what the world tries to tell the church is, don't talk about money, people will get offended. If you get offended over my talk about money, can I point out to you the problem is not the talk about money, the problem is the condition of your heart. Yay. So put up my first quote, would you please? Money is amoral, neither good nor bad, and it cannot act on its own. I've entitled this sermon, Everyday Realities. Here's your first one. Money is amoral. It's neither good nor bad, and it cannot act on its own. Can you all agree with that? Your money is not doing anything that you don't want it to do. It's your responsibility. There are about 2,350 verses in the Bible about money. Almost twice as many about money as there are those dealing with faith and prayer combined. It was an important issue. Jesus spoke nearly 15% of his words concerning or using money and possessions as a tool for communication. Now, if you were to go back in my life as a pastor of almost 40 years, you would find that I didn't speak 15% of the time on money. But Jesus did, in one fashion or another. So, we're due. Here's your first point. Money is ultimately about stewardship. How we handle what doesn't belong to us. Listen, God owns everything. He's the one that does these things. And when you say, no, it's me and I'll give him some of the stuff, but the rest of it is mine. God owns everything. Money is all about stewardship. It's about the, it's about the encouragement of your heart and how you handle what is not yours. How many have ever borrowed anything from somebody and taken care of it differently than if it was yours? My sons love my toolbox. Because once I got a little disposed, now I am not mechanical, let's make that clear, okay? I'm not mechanical. I do not have a toolbox, I have a chrome holder for tools. It's pretty. Got a butcher block top. All the screwdrivers are pointing the same direction and they're shiny. I've got wrenches that I've never used, but boy are they pretty. Those are my tools, but when my boys see me using the largest screwdriver as a pry bar, they tell me you shouldn't use that that way, and I promptly tell them it's my screwdriver. See, the point is we've got to figure out who owns stuff. God gives us grace. In fact, if you would please just turn to the, to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 8, and let me show you this, and we'll just try and go slow. Here it is in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Notice in verse number 11. 
he gives the encouragement, beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest, now look what happens, when you have eaten and are full. Now the context is important here. These people have, have left the slavery of Egypt, and this is the recounting, the, the, the second time they're telling what happened. They've left the slavery of Egypt, went into the promised land, and now Moses is recounting this, and he says, don't do this less when what God promised you actually happens, right? It's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a blessed land, and, and we're going to eat of its, of its goodness. He says, you've eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them. What he's saying is, beware whence, when you have accomplished what God intended for you to accomplish, which is to take care of your family and do all those kinds of things. He says, when you have beautiful houses, verse 13, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold are multiplied and all that you have is multiplied when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God. He's telling us that in the money conversation, oftentimes the more you have, the more propensity you have to allow your heart to elevate itself. See, it's all about you stewarding what God gives you. Notice it says then in the 18th verse, And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth. One of the best ways to, to translate this would be the power to attract wealth. Look at this. That He may establish His covenant. When you have the purpose of God in your heart, the stewardship of God to, to, to steward what He gives you. This is what your church has done for 40 years. Your church has steward the, stewarded the resources that you all have entrusted them with in such a way to further God's kingdom that He continues to cause wealth to be attracted or you to have the power to get wealth. Listen to me. As kingdom citizens... Wealth is supposed to be attracted to you. Now, if you leave here today and say, well, our pastor just done jumped off the deep end talking about prosperity. I'm not talking about prosperity. I'm talking about provision. What God provided before sight, God said before you got. God said to the children of Israel, you're going to go into this land, land flowing with milk and honey, a land that's full of all this good stuff because I've promised it to you. They had nothing until he made the promise. They only walked into his pro before vision, sight, before sight. He said, here's what's waiting for you. Follow me. He does the same thing in the New Testament. The Bible says in, in Corinthians that Jesus became poor so that you might become rich. Now, you can make that into some sort of spiritual thing where, well, yes, he became poor in, 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 in salvation. You know, he became sin for us. That's all true. But when it was all said and done, where did he sit down? right next to the Father. He didn't stay there, did He? God's design for you is to follow after His principles and steward what He gives you. That's the principle. Here's your quote. We need biblical knowledge. First one, thank you. We need biblical knowledge and wisdom to handle money righteously. Most of us do not have the, the wherewithal to use the wisdom that God gives us. And here's how, here's how you know this. During this season of time, over the years, credit card debt has increased exponentially and has taken from four to 18 months to pay off Christmas. 
If you're still paying for Christmas in June, you need a different plan. Why is that? Because you didn't handle it with wisdom. You say, but pastor, I don't want my kids to think we're poor. They don't have to think you're poor. They have to think you're wise. When you're wise, you'll handle your finances differently so that you don't live from hand to mouth. Amen. Turn with me, Will, to Matthew chapter 6 and put up that quote. Will you please, Jeremy? These are everyday realities. Okay? So the, 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 the first one is money is amoral, right? And the second one is we need biblical knowledge and wisdom to handle it right. This is not about you being smart. It's not you getting a bigger, better job and making more money, making sure that you save and do all this kind of stuff. That's a part of it, but that's not the whole thing. It's really about you being a steward. The third thing is money is spoken of as the greatest idol available in life. It's the only other thing that I can find that is directly compared to worshiping God and worshiping money. It's the only one. Look at it, Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is the personification. It's literally an idol. It's the personification of money. It's money in a body. And the people of the first century chose to worship manna, sorry, mammon, as a God. And, and here the writer gives us this direct comparison. You can't serve God and money at the same time. When you miss this, you will make money your God. And then money will begin to speak to you like God can speak to you. And it will tell you you need more. Have you ever looked at your paycheck and had money speak to you? I need more. Have you ever looked at your savings account and said, well, that ain't going to happen. That ain't going to work. I need more. Your money begins to speak to you. So notice that mammon, as the personification of this money, as an idol, is an object of worship. You can say, oh, I don't worship money. Okay, whatever. I'm not here to convict you of anything. I'm here to convince you of the need for stewardship in your life. That's, the money. That's an everyday reality. You need to steward well what you have. Amen. Turn with me, if you will, to Luke 16, where we see this same passage, same comparative passage spoke. Luke chapter 16. This is the next thing. Money is spoken of as an issue of faithfulness and trust. The Bible talks about money in terms of faithfulness and trust. Look at this in verse number, uh, seven, or number 11. It says, Therefore, if you've not been faithful in unrighteous mammon. See, again, sometimes we miss this instruction because all we really want to talk about is how much money we need or, or, or can get. And, and that unrighteous position puts us at a deficit. In faithfulness and trust. Notice it says here, who will commit to your trust the true riches? What are the true riches? The true riches are the spiritual uh, uh, principles of handling money right. I mean, you've heard it said that you can't outgive God. 
I've never met anybody who tried. Do you believe you can't outgive God? Well, then give it all away and see what God does. See, unless you have, now I'm not advocating that you do that. Don't give yourself into poverty because when you give yourself into poverty, you can rest assured you followed your flesh. Look what it says. If you've not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? We are carriers entrusted by the Father to carry the true riches. Look at the next verse, please. And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, this is a comparison between your work and how you understand that relationship and your understanding of God's relationship with you. I'm always amazed when people separate their spiritual life from their work life. Whatever you do under the Lord, do it under the Lord, including your work. Don't be cheating your time card. Amen? It's stewardship. You're handling someone else's stuff. I regularly have trouble in my life because I've set myself up to serve the church. And in my world, that means certain things. So when I can't be here like last week, we were gone all last week. Dear Lord, these young families are busy. I hauled kids from pillar to post. And, you know, they got dentist appointments. And I forgot. Maybe our kids didn't go to the dentist. I don't have any idea. But I just forgot about how, man, oh, man, away we go, right and left. And, you know, hop in the car, let's go. And, you know, and, and, and wow, it was a lot. You know, I had to handle that. Because what I really wanted to do was to spend what I normally spend when I'm able to be in my office. Shut my door. Nobody bothers me. Sometimes I shut my door and God doesn't even bother me. <laughs> it's a little scary when you can come up with your own plan and hope God blesses it. But it's an issue of faithful. We're handling what doesn't belong to us in faithfulness and trust. Again, look at the, the 12th verse. If you've not been faithful in another man's, who will give you what is your own? Now, see, this implies something for us that sooner or later... What happens is we literally get the inheritance that is promised to us. It's ours. It's ours through Jesus Christ. You say, what does that mean, Pastor? It means that we become that flow-through vessel that God intended for us to be. It's so powerful. We'll, we'll touch that more in, in the weeks to come. Okay, here's the, second, here's the second point I want you to get. Our money talk, how we talk to ourselves about money, gives money a voice in our life. How we talk to ourselves about money gives money a voice in our life. 1 Timothy chapter 6, if you would please, tells us, and maybe, did, did we do that quote? Oh good, you're doing that just right, I think. You just follow right along, Jeremy, and I'll, I'll preach what you put up, okay? <laughs> this scripture in 1 Timothy chapter 6 says the love of money. When we love something... It affects how we talk about it, how we talk to it. Let me show, I can show you this so easy. How many of you reasonably intelligent folks have looked at a baby and talked to that baby because of your love in baby talk? You know, and you're smiling, and the, and the baby smiles because, I don't know, they don't understand. But your love changes how you talk to the object of your love. 
If you don't handle this financially correctly, you will talk to money outside of God's boundaries. And it'll be easy for you to miss church and to miss the fellowship of the saints together because after all, it would be better for you to work on Sunday than waste time talking to that old guy that stands up there and talks for an hour. And see, your heart can get hardened and calloused over because you've heard all this before. But if we've heard it before, how come is it that we lose track sometimes of how we allow money to talk to us? You you understand, when it feels like you're out of control by circumstances like the economy, money talks to you about whether or not you can afford eggs. Are you, are you hearing this? When, when we let the economy affect us, we let money talk to us in a way that is outside of biblical parameters. If God gives you every good thing to enjoy, if good and perfect gifts are being poured out, you're not trying to buy 3,000 eggs. You just want to have an egg every once in a while for breakfast. But yet money will talk to you and tell you that your God can't afford an egg. You can't afford... I, I'm a man of, dis, of distinguished taste. You can buy generic bread if you want, but it's terrible. You can buy peanut butter that comes in a 55-gallon industrial drum for $2.72, but it's terrible. Buy good bread and buy Jif peanut butter, all right? If you're godly, that's what you do. (laughs) But you see, when the economy becomes what, when your money begins to speak to you and tell you what God can't afford, you're listening to the wrong God. See, that's why when you say, well, I can afford the payment. Anybody, Anybody ever fell into that trap? Oh, help me, Jesus. You know that a payment goes on and on until you've satisfied the debtor. You know, the, the, guy, the guy that lent you the money, the creditor. It just keeps going every day. Well, I can afford the payment. Well, you can afford it, but it'll change how you talk about it. Now you'll curse the very thing that you couldn't live without because of debt. See, everyday realities of money can get you. Look at 1 Timothy, if you would, please, chapter 6. I forgot to turn there. I'll get there. Hang on. See, when we, when we talk about these everyday realities, we've got to realize that this stuff happens in our life, whether we like it or not, in some cases. You know, we just think, well, wow. And I'm just telling you, if you listen to the, to the TV news, you know, pretty soon you'll be broken and, and angry like everybody else when you're really not broke and you really shouldn't be angry. Verse number six, now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. Having food and clothing with these things, we shall be content. Notice that in the stewardship picture, there's a level of contentment that's being talked about. Money should be content in our life. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptations and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. 
See, when the Bible talks this seriously about these things and uses these, these words we've got to look up, what does it mean? Destruction and perdition. I don't know, but it doesn't sound good. I mean, this is kind of bad. For the love of money is the root. It doesn't say money is. Money is amoral. It cannot make a decision on its own. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. For which some have strayed from the faith. Notice the, the production line here. Strayed from the faith, brought many sorrows, and pierced people through. I mean, how, how interesting is that? Ecclesiastes chapter 5, I, I don't know if it's in our notes or not. It's in my notes, but I don't remember when I put it in. It says, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. See, people of God, if, if, if we don't focus on the stewardship issue that brings contentment, I'm handling things the way God wants us to. Amen? Finally, the third thing. Biblical money talk, how you talk about your money, keeps understanding in its proper place as a stewardship issue. Biblical money talk. You say, well, what is that? That's when you talk to yourself from biblical principles. In Deuteronomy chapter 26, it talks about taking the first fruits and coming together after they went into the, 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 the uh, uh, promised land. And they took these first fruits. And he says, when you do that, you want to look at it? Deuteronomy chapter 26, look at verse number, number one of chapter 26, Deuteronomy. We'll just take just, just a little bit of time here. It shall be when you come into the land, this is the first verse, Lord God has given you as an inheritance, you possess it and dwell it. Okay, great. And then you take some of the first fruits, skip down to about the middle of verse three, and say to him, say to the priest, notice that your money talk has a confession that comes out of your mouth. He says, I declare today to the Lord your God that I've come to the country which the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. He confesses that God got him to this point. Look over at verse number um, um, 10. It says, then you shall set it before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. Biblical money talk will always produce a worship or intends to produce a worship through what God has given you. These are just everyday realities, people of God. Look down at verse number 13. Then you shall say before the Lord your God. Notice how he gets this talk. He's telling these people before it ever happens. He says, listen, you've got to put these things in your life. You've got to recognize that God has called you to this place. You've got to recognize that he called you to this place with the purpose of worshiping him for his provision. Verse 13, then he says, then you shall say before the Lord, I have removed the holy tithe from my house. That part that is dedicated to God. Verse 14, I've not eaten any of it when in mourning. See, these confessions are so important because what happens, especially during this time of year, is that if we overspend, if we don't handle our money righteously, we'll overspend, and then what'll happen is that you will take what was devoted to God and use it for yourself. You'll literally eat your seed. Then six months from now, you'll wonder why you don't have any harvest. Then you shall say to the Lord, I've removed the holy tithe from my house. Skip down to verse number 14. I've not eaten any of it when in mourning. I've not removed any of it for an unclean use. When I've taught this before, I spent a whole week talking about unclean use. People of God, there are things that God asks us not to do with his provision. 
There are positions of righteous handling of money rather than unclean handling of money. You say, well, but doesn't what God want us to have any fun? I'm not going to be your judge in all of that. I'm telling you that there are righteous ways to use money and unrighteous ways to use money. That's for you to determine through God's word. I, I'm not going to sit up here and say, well, now don't you ever buy a, 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 a video to watch in your TV, you know, or whatever. I, see, it's not my job. It's God's. You need to hear that from him. He said, I'm not removed from nor have I given any of it for the dead or for use in dead works, in dead work. We have an opportunity in the next few months to voice our moral position about life beginning at conception in Colorado. And you will watch television commercials that show you starving and mistreated dogs and animals in Africa that are harvested for their teeth or for their horns and give to this fund and give to that fund. I'm not saying any of those things should be happening to those poor animals and that kind of stuff. But can you at least see with me that the position of life for humans is more important? Can you at least see with me that there are dead works out there that you can give into that do not rise to the occasion of life-bearing issues? I'm sorry that dolphins get caught in tuna nets, okay? I really am, but... Um, can I point out to you that when you are driving down the road and you see that sign that says deer crossing, it's not an approval for the deer to cross there. It's where they regularly cross the road. They're warning you, saying these things after generations of getting run over and smucked by some big truck can't figure out, don't cross the road, you're going to die. And, let, and yet, every human being has more value than that. Are you hearing me? See, when, when, you, when, you don't, when you use your money for dead works, you get confused. And listen, if you're all up on, you know, PETA and all those other people that, you know, save the dogs and the cats and, and whatever else. I got in so much trouble one time in my church when I said something unkind about cats. And I'm not a cat lover. I'm sorry. If you love cats, bless your heart, but I'm not. And, and I said something, and man, this woman who's on our worship team, just not in this church now, so if we have women on our worship, worship team that love cats, just, just you know, put your fingers in your ears and say, la, 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 until I'm done. But, but uh, you know, I, I said something unkind, and she's read me the riot act. I mean, I can't believe you're so mean. You know, I really, I was just going for a laugh is all I was doing. I was going for a laugh, and I used something unkind. That was a dead work on my part. But can I point out to you, there are real things that are dead works out there. I've used none of it for dead works. It's why your elders are so particular about praying for what God wants us to do with our abundance. Because there are dead works out there. I mean, man. Well, don't you want them puppies to live? Not as much as I want the babies to live. I mean, if we have to compare. Now, again... Please understand that that's a decision that you have to make. I can't make it for you as your pastor. There are righteous standards to handling money 
and unrighteous standards. But you're the one to get. See, it's an everyday reality. Your money is amoral. It cannot work on its own. You must make a decision. And by the way, given a right understanding, you'll realize that your money talks to you every single day. How many ever wondered, if you don't keep track of your money, and you, you drive by that store that sells whatever. For me, it's Crumble Cookies. You all know that. And, and so I try not to drive by Crumble Cookies because immediately upon driving by Crumble Cookie, I do this. And I see if I got my wallet in my pocket. Just in case, God says, you better turn in there because the world's going to end and you need to eat a cookie. Okay. How many of you know God doesn't care whether I eat a cookie or not? But my money was talking to me. I, do I have enough money to buy an overpriced cookie? Yeah, I do. Pretty sure I do. Right? Your money talks to you, people of God. Just drive by a car lot and have that big sign up there, your car's waiting for you, 0% interest. I don't care if it's 0% interest. I don't care if they pay you a percent to get it. If God doesn't tell you to buy a car, you're a fool. Because righteous standards of money more important than unrighteous desires of a human. I knew this would go well. How we live in money relationship. Last quote, please, Jeremy. How we live in relationship of money should be governed by God's word. I'll pick this up next week right here. How we live in relationship to money should be governed by God's word. You say, well, I, I don't like that because, you know, I found in the Bible where God asks us to give and I don't really want to give. And I especially don't want to give to you because we know what you're going to do with it. You're going to further God's kingdom with it. And some of the things that God's happened in God's kingdom, we don't like. You all gave a, a substantial offering to Samaritan's Purse several weeks ago hopefully with the full knowledge, because he said it, that they're going to help the Israelis and the terrorists should that opportunity arise in Jesus' name. And many of us have to handle, wait a minute, you mean we're going to handle, we're going to help the terrorists? I'm not, we're not helping terrorists, we're helping creations of God in Jesus' name for the, for the distinct possibility that one person comes into a hospital with a, a, a bullet wound or whatever else and they hear about Jesus and their life is turned around. Amen. See, it's not about choosing sides in a battle. This is about the righteous use of God's money because he owns everything. Amen? Amen? Are you okay with everyday realities? <laughs> you realize this is happening in your life every single day. Amen? Amen. Amen. Stand with me, would you please? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Well, Father, it's such a common subject in our everyday life, but sometimes it's an awkward conversation in church life where some people want to be left alone and not have anybody ever meddle in their money, not to feel like somebody's telling them what to do. But, Father, we need your instruction. We need your knowledge. We need your wisdom, Lord God, to operate our finances by biblical boundaries and parameters. So, Father, would you just continue to remind us of the everyday principles that we see in your word that causes our money to have a voice in our life, to cause us to understand how God would have us to see these things. So, Father, we can walk forward furthering your kingdom, Lord God as a goal 
to help, Father God, to walk in the, in the designed inheritance that you've given us. So we might be that vessel that flows through rather than that reservoir that holds on to. Your word tells us, Father, there's someone who, who, who withholds more than is just, and that person will not be blessed. Those people who scatter abundantly, and they will be, a, be blessed. So, Father, we thank you today for just the biblical realities of your word speaking to money. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening. To subscribe to our podcast, search New Life Eckley in all of the major podcasting apps. Audio and video of our sermons are posted at newlifeeckley.com slash live, and you can watch Sermon Slices weekdays on social media. Search at New Life Eckley. Our main service is at 10 a.m. Mountain Time every Sunday. Thanks for listening.